Have you ever been in the presence of a truly great storyteller? Oh man, I have. I, it's, good storytellers are just amazing. You sit at their feet and you just listen to them spin a tale and you hang it on to every word. I've known a lot. Uh, one of my favorites was a guy from my childhood. His name's John. John Boston uh, from my home church. Love John. John's a great storyteller. He's lived an incredible life, just the stuff he's been able to do. And he just tells story from his real life. And uh, it, there's a good chance if you've ever heard John talking, it's because he was telling a story. And he only tells one kind of story. True stories. And he'll let you know right in the middle of the story, no matter how crazy it's getting or out of this world or unbelievable, he'll say, no, no, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. So he's telling stories left and right. One of my favorites that he used to tell was a story about when he used to work for Sears. And I think he was a delivery person for, uh, for appliances. And he was working in a really rural area. I believe it was up in the mountains of Kentucky. And, it, and this old you know, country bumpkin fella has ordered a refrigerator, and he's got to go and deliver. And this has been decades ago. And so this, this guy goes out, John goes out to deliver the refrigerator that this man ordered. And he gets to the house, and the guy realizes quickly that the door to the house is too small for the refrigerator to go into the house. This doesn't face this old country fella, no way. He goes to his shed, he pulls out his chainsaw, and he begins to saw a hole in the side of his house. And John is just blown away, like, sir, you do not have to cut a hole in the side of your house. But he does. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. So he cuts the, the hole in the side of his house, and John helps him put the refrigerator into the side of his house. They get it all situated, and John goes to plug the refrigerator in. And he says, excuse me, sir, uh, I can't find an electrical outlet. Where's the closest electrical outlet? And no lie, this guy says, electrical outlet? Shoot, we ain't got no electricity. <laughs> great story. You know what I mean? Like a great storyteller. He remembers those details. And, and the best storytellers, just they, they get that last little twist in at the last moment and catch you off guard and just keep you guessing. I love a good story. And there's so many great ways to use stories. Some of them can be entertaining, like my buddy John. Or maybe you grew up and you heard some of the uh, moral fable stories, like Aesop's fables. You heard about the boy who cried wolf, or maybe the story of the ant and the grasshopper, or the tortoise and the hare. This guy lived in the 600s B.C., and his stories are still holding strong today. And for thousands of years, kids have learned, like, don't lie, don't be lazy, and take your time from Aesop's fables. And, and so there are so many great uses for stories. One of the greatest styles of stories, and one that we learn from a lot as Christians, is a story style called a parable. A parable is an earthly concept that teaches a heavenly truth. And it was a style of teaching that Jesus used all the time. So we're starting today a brand new teaching series called Long Story Short. And in Long Story Short, we're going to be just going through several of the parables that Jesus taught. And we'd see how we would take this earthly concept and convey a heavenly truth. And I hope that this morning you can start to begin to learn some of the beautiful things that Jesus teaches. And so, if you got a Bible, grab it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 today. Matthew's one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. Pull your Bible out and turn over to Matthew chapter 13. We're also going to be flipping over to Luke chapter 8 if you want to hold your thumb there. The parable that we're going to look through today is actually in a couple of places in the Bible, and we're going to be looking at Matthew 13 
And Luke 8, just a couple of little little bitty moments there. But in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1, I'm going to let the great storyteller Jesus do his thing without any of my commentary and tell his story one time through. And let's just see where we go. This is the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along a path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Your parables were made to make you think. There, there are no punchlines to parables. They're not super entertaining. They're generally pretty short. Uh, it was a method used by teachers like Jesus to make their students stop and think about an idea or a concept for a little while and, and just ponder it for a little while. They may often not even explain what it meant because their goal was to make their students lean in and discover the treasure they're in the story. Now, I've heard that rabbis would intentionally make sure that when they stole, told stories like this, that they would be on location in a, in a spot that would resemble the story that they're telling. And so there's a good chance that as Jesus is telling this story, there might have been someone right over there farming, and a farmer is sowing seed, and Jesus is like, it's like a farmer sowing seed in a field. You know, and he just begins to point it out. Or maybe he had, you know, a handful of some soil or a little pouch of seeds. And he was, because Jesus wanted his students to see what he was saying so that they could internalize that and they begin to process it and put it into their lives. And because of this, this thinking, you know, concept, the idea that, that it, was, it was meant to make you think, sometimes the listeners had a lot of questions. And it wasn't for simple-minded people, and it wasn't for people who were lazy and didn't want to think about it. And so it's, it's why Jesus' disciples asked this question. Let's look at verse 10 of our passage. His disciples say, the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus answers him directly. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, I want people to know about the kingdom of heaven. And the people who want to know about it, guys like you, they're going to stick around and they're going to listen and they're going to learn. and They're going to unpack and they're going to process. But there are other people who don't only have it, even the beginnings of an inkling to, to want to know more. And they're not going to take the time to think and, think, and they're not going to take the time to listen and to process. And those people just aren't going to get it. Jesus goes on to quote a, a larger section from the book of Isaiah. We'll just look at two lines of it. He says, Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not hear or understand. They're not picking up what I'm putting down. So I'm not going to take a whole lot of time 
to try to dive into the until they're ready. I'm not going to take the time to continue to dive into it with them. Even his explanation of what a parable, why he is teaching in parables, is a little bit confusing. Uh, but but I hope we get the gist of it. Here, here's the main idea. I think that Jesus says, listen, if, if you're a Fairweather fan or you're just a bandwagon fan, you can just move along. I want the people who are truly committed, who are willing to sit here and think about what I'm saying. Because being a disciple of mine, being a Christian, is going to take work. It's going to be hard. It's going to take thinking. It's going to take obedience, which is difficult. It's going to take faith. It's going to take your time. And it's so worth it. But it's not just going to be fed to you on a silver spoon. you got to take the time. That, that's kind of my takeaway a little bit from this idea of, of why he teaches in parables. And so, and the reason I'm even kind of going through that is because we're going to spend several weeks on parables, and there's going to be some of them that Jesus just lets float out there. We're going to get the opportunity to kind of let them marinate and to think. And even today, hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, people are still marinating and learning from these great tales. Uh, and so when huge crowds come around Jesus, he would often teach in parables because he wanted to weed out the ones who were just there for the handouts and, and to be around someone who was popular like Jesus. And he wanted to really get down to the people who really, really wanted it. So for those who are really willing to dig, he gives us verse 16. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so after this, Jesus does the disciples a favor. Okay, He's going to explain the parable. And so for the rest of our time here today, this morning, we're going to Listen to Jesus explain this parable, and we're going to see what we can walk away with. And he first of all gives this surface-level story. There's a farmer, he's spreading seed, there's going to be some difficulties with the seed, rocks, thorns, things like that. Some of the seeds grow, some of the seeds don't grow. That's the surface level story. But the deeper level begins when Jesus starts to explain. I love going over to Luke chapter 8 and picking up this little sentence that Luke included. As we start this process, in verse 11, Luke 8, 11, Jesus says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So it's like anytime someone is speaking the word of God, uh, it's like these seeds being spread around. And so then the people who hear that word of God become this soil. And that's what Jesus is about to explain. And he explains there's four kinds of soil. There's a hard path. There's a rocky soil. There's a soil which is surrounded by thorns. And then there's what he calls a good soil. And so we get back to Matthew chapter 13 as Jesus explains. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So you've seen paths before, paths in parks, or maybe on the side of the road where there wasn't a sidewalk, but people have walked there so much that it's just packed down the soil. And, and you know that if you're going to put seeds there, they're just not going to be able to take root. And what he says is, he says this soil, I love what he says there, that the soil is the heart of the person that's listening to what is the seed? The seed is the word of God. So the soil in this first person scenario is a soil that is packed so tightly that the seed cannot even penetrate into the ground. Jesus is saying there are people who are here the word of God and they just don't have any ability to let it sink in. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Like maybe you got friends like this. 
They got their reasons. Maybe they had a bad experience with church. Maybe they grew up in a home that was uh, that called themselves Christian, but they were abusive or other things. This is a sad story that happens all the time. Or maybe they just, for whatever reasons, have had obstacles in their way. Or maybe they grew up in a culture where they just didn't hear about God at all. And for whatever reason, the soil of their heart is packed in such a way that the seed cannot get in. Maybe this is you. Maybe, I mean, you're sitting here, you're watching church online on, you know, on the internet. So like, you're like, wait, don't I get extra credit for that? You do. You totally get extra credit for this. Uh, but maybe the only reason you're sitting here is because your spouse drags this thing out every week and makes you look at it or takes you to church and been doing it for years or your mom or your grandparents. And you're just like, I'm going to go because it's just easier to go. It's easier to go than to fight about it. But you hear the word of God all the time. You hear sermons, you hear songs, but... It just never really does anything for you. Jesus says that the evil one comes along like birds and it just plucks it up out of your heart. And Maybe you've never thought about it like that. In fact, maybe it's a little bit offensive to hear it that way. I don't mean to be offensive, but what I'm saying is, one, I am so glad that you're here because I believe that the Word of God, when it penetrates our heart, is life-changing. And it's worth it. But I also get it. I get it that some things in your life may have packed the soil tight. Now, here's the one thing I want you to know, everyone who's listening, okay, if it's, if it's you, if it's your friend, your neighbor, your family member, just because the soil's packed tight doesn't mean it's bad soil. I mean, sometimes it's just under the surface, it's really great. All around it, the grass is growing, right? That might be happening in your family right now. All around you or these people, the grass is growing just fine, but, but something is packed it tight right there. And so hang on with us, okay? Stick with us for a couple of weeks. And I think even by the end of today, you'll have some ideas on some ways you can loosen that up. So that's the first type of soil that Jesus talks about. The second soil he talks about is in verse 20. He calls it uh, a rocky soil. So let's look at it. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Remember, it's not going to be easy. When the word comes into our life, things change and shift. And so, so problem, persecution, or, 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 or just struggle sometimes happens. It's going to happen. Now, to this person, the second person, the person that Jesus says has a heart that soil is a little bit rocky, the truth of God does matter. It matters to them. In fact, it might matter greatly to them. But as they hear the Word of God, it gets into them a little bit, but then something happens. Now, uh, I don't know if you've done much gardening. Uh, I've done a little bit of that summer gardening, and I had a really crazy thing happen a couple of years ago. We did carrots, and we haven't done carrots many times, but uh, one time we, we planted these carrots, and we had some pretty good carrots. But we had this one carrot that something crazy happened to. Uh, when we pulled it up, it had a, a fork in it. It looked like a, a tooth, like the root of a tooth. And what we realized is that it had hit a big rock in the ground, and because it was trying to go around the rock, it actually split, okay? It was a small rock. Uh, now, as you are cultivating a, a new field or a field that has never really been worked for farming, uh, what I've seen a video of is, man, sometimes you've got to get out some big old rocks. And those things really create a barrier for roots to go in very deeply. Now, what's the point? I mean, you, I'm not here to teach a gardening class. The point is this, there are things under the surface of our life, and, and for you it could be all kinds of different things. It can be addiction, it can be fear or doubt, it can be brokenness or baggage, maybe a bad relationship, a bad experience. And these things in our, our, our under the surface life, 
they can really stop the growth of what God wants to do in our life. Now, God is a specialist at removing those rocks, especially the sinful things in our life. Forgiveness is the main deal. Grace, that's that's like Jesus' biggest gift. But there are things under the surface that sometimes we see that stuff and we're like, that's mine. Don't touch it. Don't move it. And, and what really needs to happen is we need to start looking through our own lives and beginning to say, are there, are there obstacles in the way of God's truth taking root in my life? And if there are, can I encourage you to do something? Start doing what it takes to get it out. Get the help you need. Go to the counseling you need. Tell the truths that you need to tell. Have the conversations that you need to have. Throw away the things that you need to throw away. Because if you don't, I'm going to tell you this, you're going to experience what Jesus ex- explained here. You're going to have a pretty good afternoon. You heard the truth of God today in a message. You're going to be like, this is great. You might even have a good tomorrow and a good next day. But eventually that truth of God is going to start to try to blossom in your life. And that thing that is there is going to stop it. And it's going to shrivel up and die. And we have got to get that mess out of our life. And so that's what Jesus calls the rocky soil. And it's not easy work, but it is so, so worth it. And so that is... The next soil. Then Jesus gets into our third type of soil uh, in verse 22. It says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, some people are surrounded by thorns. If the rocks are the things kind of going on under the surface, the thorns are the things that are around us, kind of above the surface. And if you've ever, you know, tried to grow something, you notice like your crops can grow alongside the weeds and the thorns. It's possible. But also, again, in agriculture, you understand there is a stealing happening. Because of the weeds, they are stealing the nutrients that needs to go into the thing that is trying to grow. And Jesus calls it something interesting here. Here he calls it the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. If you were to flip over to Luke chapter 8, the Luke version uh, includes this life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Worries, riches, and pleasures. If you could summarize our culture in three words, those would be three pretty good words. Worries, riches, and pleasures. And I want to kind of, I want to boil them all down actually to one word, one word that's going to really define what these thorns really are. Distractions. Distractions in our life. Things that are either uh, causing us anxiety and stress and worry or fear. These are distracting things or the riches and pleasures. And I want to, I want to camp out on those for a minute because here's something that we have a lot of. We have a lot of riches and pleasures and wealth and prosperity. We've got a lot of that in our life. We are rich people. If you look at your own life, most of you have two cars. You probably have a smartphone and the internet, which is fantastic. It's how we're doing this right now. You probably have clothes in your room that you never wear. and You have no intentions of wearing, but you're not going to give them away because i got to keep them because they're our riches. They, they, cause us, they give us pleasure. You might have rooms in your house, extra rooms, that you don't even use. You don't sleep in them. You don't eat in them. You don't sit in them. They're just extra rooms. They might be the extra rooms that you put your extra stuff in that you don't use. Now, I'm not saying all this to to give us a guilt trip. You know, it's okay to have stuff. There's a lot to be said about managing that stuff and stewardship and all that other stuff. But it's not a sin to have the stuff. But what you know what they are? 
their distractions. Jesus calls them thorns. You know what thorns do to the regular, the main plant? They, they steal, they kill, and they destroy. That's what they do. They steal the nutrients, they eventually kill and destroy that plant. And it sounds an awful lot like what Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. He's talking about the devil. But then he says, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I love how consistent Jesus is. There are some things in our life that are distracting and they are stealing the nutrients away. They're, they might be good things. They're definitely entertaining things. They're pleasurable things. But are they taken away from the growth that God could be giving you? That is something to really think about. The rocks, the thorns, maybe there's some packed soil in your life. But then Jesus takes us to a fourth type of soil. A type of soil that I think we all want to aspire to have in our lives. He says in verse 23, he says, But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. If you were to flip over to the Luke 8 version, you'd also see him say, this is someone with a good and noble heart. Man, I want a good and noble heart. The, the thing about the good and noble heart, the good soil, the person who hears and understands the word when it lands in their life, is that it begins to change them. And it leads to the production of fruit in their life. I recently watched a show on Netflix. Uh, I want to encourage that you watch it because it's, it's a lot of fun. It's super clean, super family friendly. It's called The Biggest Little Farm. And it's a great documentary, actually. It's not like a movie or a TV show. It's only one episode. It's a documentary. And it's about this couple who buys a 200-acre farm. And this farm is desolate, okay? It is dead because the farmers who had it before, they totally stripped the land of all of its nutrients. They killed the land. The farm went out of business. And this family has the goal of going into this land and to revitalize it and to make it like a, a sustainable organic farm that, that is, it's a really, I won't spoil it for you. It's a really, really good, good uh, process that happens. And, but they buy this dead land and the things that they do in that land are, are pretty interesting because um, it turns out that the story that they tell could be a really great parable of its own. A parable of what it looks like to take a dead and destroyed heart and cultivate it into a soil that can grow good fruit. The things that they do are the things that I want to outline for us to think about doing in our own life. And so the first thing they do, and again, this isn't really a spoiler. This is just some of the ideas that happen. You still could totally enjoy it when you watch it. The first thing that they do is they befriend someone who is a seasoned farmer. The guy's a veteran. He knows all about what it means to make sustainable land and to do all these good things. And, and this was crucial. Now, in your spiritual life, it is very important for you to find mentors, advisors, and accountability partners. People that you can be in community with. People that you can talk to and people who can call you out. And people who can help you map out a plan for what you're going to do. Okay, and so that's the first thing that I want to encourage us to do. If you've got some of those rocks or some of those thorns or some of that hard-packed soil, start seeking somebody out that you can begin to talk to. Someone who seems to have it together and ask them to give you a hand. The second thing they did was they did the hard work of pulling up thorns and weeds and digging up rocks. And, and, and they had this, I believe they had this grass called 
devil weed or devil grass or something. And so like even that is, is ironic in, in the context of what I'm talking about. They, they spent, I think, weeks just pulling up and pulling up and digging up, trying to get all the mess out of there that was going to be later a distraction for the good things that they were trying to dig up. And so that's the hard work that I was talking about earlier. You got to get in and do that stuff. If you're with your spouse right now or with people that you trust, I want you to just kind of give them a little side-eye glance, and I want you to let them know, I know, I got some things I need to work on. And I want that person, I want you to lovingly and full of grace go, I got you. Because it's going to be mutual. And you got to do some of that pulling of the weeds and digging up the rocks. This isn't rocket science, but it's a process. The third thing that they do, which is really interesting, is they start to bring in livestock. Now, you would think, okay, if you're going to plant, uh, you know, they, they were trying to have all kinds of fruits and vegetables, produce, grow on this farm, so, and the, the largest variety that they could possibly have. And you would think, okay, the first thing to do is, like, throw a bunch of chemicals on the ground and try to, like, uh, I don't know, fertilize the soil or with, with whatever you do, or plant some new plants. That's what you would do. You bring in some soil from somewhere else. No. The first thing they did was bring in a ton of, tons and tons of livestock, everything from chickens and ducks and sheep, pigs. Uh, cows, all kinds of things, and they just let them do their thing out there and just leave their natural waste on the ground and root up. Because one thing that animals can do really well is root up the soil as they just begin. That's just what they do naturally. We've got we've got chickens at our house. Let me tell you, they do, they love to destroy our flower beds, and they just get in there and they dig it up and they find all the bugs. And, they, and as this begins to happen, what it does is it adds nutrients and aeration to the soil, two very important components for bringing that soil back to life. Now, this is the takeaway for us is we're making some spiritual changes in our lives today. You've got to bring in some spiritual livestock. Okay, I, I don't know that there's a direct comparison between cow and, you know, and chickens uh, but, uh, and, and spiritual life. But I do think that there are some nutrients we can bring into our life. Listening to the word more and more is good. Okay, but remember the seed is the word of God. So what else can we do? Faith is a nutrient. Just trying to trust God in this stuff. And as you begin to churn up your faith muscles, uh, trusting God with things like being generous to people and taking risks by building relationships, uh, like calling a mentor and getting in touch with them, and, and prayer and being in community and talking with people and doing all the things that, to be honest, I try my best to recommend almost every single week when I preach, like to actually do that stuff. And it begins to add nutrients to your soil, to your heart. And stir up and aerate that life and make room for growth. We've got to add the spiritual nutrients to our life. And they do a lot of other things too. Uh, too many to list and I don't know that they all have a direct parallel for this parable that I'm spinning here. But uh, the, my last takeaway from their story was this. It was really hard work. And they ran into uh, issue after issue after issue. There was an infestation of some bugs. There were these birds who, as soon as they started finally growing like some peaches and plums, these stupid birds come in and try to eat them all. They got these like uh, ferrets, I think. They're just messing everything up. They end up with like millions of snails at one point. And it's awesome how they deal with the snails. It, it's really cool. Uh, you got to watch it. Okay. I'm not going to tell you. But um, every step along the way, this is the lesson. They persevered. They knew the goal was to have fertile soil so that they could produce fruit. And they persevered even when it was hard. And this is going to be what we're going to call the Christian life. Persevere. Stick to it. Don't give up. Trust the story. Trust the process. Lean into the word and let it take root in your heart. And eventually this family has great success with that farm. 
And I believe that you will too, because it's the promise that God gives us. It takes faith. It takes obedience. It takes community. Long story short, God's word brings us life. And we need to do our best to make room for it in our heart. And Jesus says, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but do not see it. And to hear what you hear, but do not hear it. Let's pray.